Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, family. We glad we're in God's house. Wow, I'm seeing more and more of you come back. This is awesome. It's good to be in God's presence with God's people. Amen. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online this morning. We are in a series. We're getting toward, toward the end of it. Have we been enjoying it? Have we been enjoying it? We're in a series that we've entitled Twisted Scripture. Twisted Scripture. Not only asking the, the question, do all religions lead to God, but, but asking and answering the question, that, you know, is, is the devil willing to target us to try to get us back into foolishness? I said at the beginning of this series that he'll do a, one of three things, or probably even all of them. First, he'll try to, once you become a Christian, once you become a believer, he'll try to get you to to go back into whatever foolishness you were in, into before. He'll try to get you to backslide. So he'll try to tempt you back into that lifestyle to get you off of your path with Jesus. And if that doesn't work, he'll, he'll try a, 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 some shiny new thing to, to catch your attention. The, the, I call it the squirrel effect. You know, squirrel, and then all of a sudden you're following something else. And if those things doesn't work, the distraction and the, the, the temptation to go back, he'll say, you know what, if you like religion... You know what? <laughs> I got just the thing for you. And he will try to push you into a religious situation that makes your walk with the Lord miserable. Now, how does he do that? He says, okay, you like religion. Let me give you religion. And he'll give you a whole bunch of rules and regulations that you can't live up to. Now, what did I talk about last week? Who remembers? Anybody? Anybody? The Seventh-day Adventist, right? And what's their big thing, right? The, the main thing. You must worship on Saturday or, or else. And um, last Sunday, we, my wife and I, we, had, you know, we came to church. We had a good time. And then we, we decided, unusually, because we don't usually do this, but take an afternoon nap. Anyone, anyone do that? You know, you know I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nap. And while we're laying in bed, taking an afternoon nap, um, not that long into it, get this knock at the door. <laughs> uh, and getting the knock at the door, I turned to my wife. I said, did, did you order something? Because, you know, now you don't even have to go shopping because they, they, you know, whatever you order online comes right to your door, whatever you want. So I said, do you want? no, I didn't order anything. I mean, you know, we didn't order anything. So no one else was getting up. So I got up. I go downstairs. I open the door. First thing that guy out there asked me, he says, do you believe in Jesus? I said, yes, I do. He says, do you go to church on Sunday? <laughs> I said, yes, I do. He said, do you, do you realize that, that uh, it's Saturday you're supposed to be going to church? And I said, uh, I started looking around. I thought I was being punked by some of my staff members. I started looking around. <laughs> Is there a camera around here somewhere? <laughs> I, said, I said, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? No. I, I went through the Seventh-day Adventist, but I am a Masonic Jew. 
I first of all, never had a Seventh-day Adventist knock on my door. I never had a Messianic <laughs> Jew. I mean, I thought he was a Muslim, honestly, because he, but then I noticed the beanie on his head, he had the beard, he had the clothes, and he had taluses coming down. And so then we spent the next 45 minutes, he's trying to convince me that you can lose your salvation if you don't worship on Saturday. Now, fortunately for me, all my scriptures were fresh in my head. <laughs> and so we just, let's just say, we just agreed to disagree. Because I asked him a main question. So you say you believe in Jesus? Yes. What did you do to get saved? What, what work did you do to get saved? He said, all I did was believe. I said, so what do you have to do to lose it? Okay, so, 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 well, we have to follow the laws. I said, how many laws do you have to follow? Is it just the 10? He said, how many do you guys? He said, what? No, it's, he, said, he said it's 613. So how many do you have to follow? He said, 613. I said, you have 613 opportunities to lose your salvation every single day. Am I still your brother? <laughs> In Christ, he said, yep, you, you may make it in, but you, you're going to be at the lowest, uh, what, do you, what do you say, the lowest standard, the lowest, level. lowest level in the kingdom. I said, what is that? He says, like the door holder, as opposed to be the king, you know, on a throne. I said, but am I still your brother? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is why it's important to get into the scripture, because here we got the devil. You like religion? I'm going to give you religion. I'm going to give you 613 ways in which you could not follow. I said, have you ever read the, uh, Paul's writings, Galatians? This is what he's talking about. He was preaching salvation by faith alone. People were coming behind him and saying, yes, you must believe in Jesus, but now you also have to follow the laws of Moses. All of them? Yes. And he says, he says, if you do that, matter of fact, we, we coined that phrase, falling from grace, as somebody who has, um, you know, backslidden. But that's not the terms he was using it in. He was using falling from grace. He says, you are falling from grace, meaning you are, now, you are no longer following uh, faith by grace alone. And now you're going back to the law. And he says, don't you understand that if you follow any of them, you are under the obligation to follow all of them? And no one will be justified by following the law. Because if you break one, you're guilty of breaking them all. You are a lawbreaker. And the devil will put you with that bondage on you. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. He'll put all these rules on you for, to steal the joy of salvation. I'm telling you, I'm like, this is no longer good news. The gospel means good news. But when I said, I commend you for going door to door telling people about Jesus. I said, but why don't you start with Jesus rather than Moses? Because the laws of Moses will condemn you. And Paul emphatically says so in the scriptures. That's why it's important for us to know what the Bible says. He dealt with the same thing in his time, 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing 
in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. The end will be what their actions deserve. Now I would say this, that many of the people that we're talking about today, they don't, because of their ignorance, they don't know that they have been, that they're in maybe cult-like activity. That they fall, they, we have Christian organizations. That's where I'm, I'm like, if you're constantly losing your salvation, what did you do to get it in the first place? You have also now fallen back into the law. My mom was saying the other day she was in a church and the emphasis was all on the outside. The clothes that you wear, the length of the skirt that you put on, how high things are hiked up. And that became their religious thing, what they're wearing. And the scripture says, rend your heart and not your garments. God is way more concerned with what's going on inside of you than what you have on. Come on, somebody. Understand the gospel. The gospel is good news. It will always be good news. I told that young gentleman, listen, you got saved by grace. You will walk by grace in this life. And when you stand before God, it is only going to be by the grace of God that he's going to let you in. Not because of any good things you've done. And I can sit here like Paul and boast about the good things I've done. I've preached all over the world. I've fed thousands of people over the years. But what I'm not going to do one day when I stand before the Father is stand before him and tell him, you are lucky to have me because of all the good things I've done. I'm going to throw my crown at his feet and say, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to come in by, your, by the grace of God. Amen? And so Christianity, our subject today is, much like last week, they weren't on my schedule, but I had a bunch of people ask, what about the Catholics? What about the Catholics? I said, okay, Lord, let's talk about the Catholics, okay? Because I was, I was raised in the Catholic Church, too. And there's some, what, I, what we call good people in the Catholic Church. And we need to understand the doctrine or the difference between what we believe versus what the Catholic Church believes. Now, if you were to ask your average Catholic uh, um, if, if Catholicism and Christianity are the same thing, they would probably say yes. Now, while there are similarities in doctrinal beliefs, there are different practices and outcomes. Now, let me explain. Christianity is properly defined by certain doctrines that are revealed in the Bible. It's not simply defined by saying, as long as you believe in Jesus, you're a Christian. We saw that with the Mormons. They believe in Jesus, but their Jesus is the brother of the devil in a pre-existing lifetime. I didn't say it. It's in their own writings. They say it. The Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists, he's not God. He's an angel. He's, he's Michael the angel. And contrary to what the scripture teaches in Hebrews, that he is, that he's higher than the angels. And contrary to what John 1, 1 and 1, 4 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling 
among us. If you're a new ager, we, we, we all just need to awaken to the truth like Jesus did that, of the great I am within us. And they get this by twisting the scripture where Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Making reference to the fact that he's, on, he's he, he, making himself equal out to be, to be with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He could say that. We can't. Amen? So just saying you believe in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. This is, this is why the Bible tells us who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh and he's the creator of the universe. So likewise, there are essential doctrines that if, if any of those essential doctrines are violated, then a church would only appear to be Christian, but not really Christian. They would appear to be Christian, but not really Christian. Now, what are those doctrines? I probably should have started with those doctrines. There's a couple, seven of them that the Bible talks about. Seven basic things. And I want you to uh, uh, you know, just take note of them. Write them down. It's on your outline. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. Number one is there is only one God, and we are to serve no other gods. There's only one God where to serve no other gods. Exodus 23, Isaiah 43, 10, 44, 6, and 8. The second one is Jesus is both God and man. The only 100% God, 100% man out there. Where do we get this? We get this from John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We also see it in John 8.24, Colossians 2.9, and 1 John 4.1-4. It's all on your outline. Check it when you get home. The next one is that Jesus rose from the dead physically. There are some uh, doctrines that teach, no, it wasn't a physical or bodily resurrection, that it was some kind of spiritual thing. No, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead physically. Amen? That's why when I went over to Israel, empty tomb. John 2, 19 through 21, 1 Corinthians 15 through 14. Number four is salvation is by grace through faith alone. Grace through faith alone, Romans 5, 1, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Galatians 3, 1, and 2, and Galatians 5, 1 through 4. Remember I said it's not Jesus and, in terms of salvation, it's Jesus, help me out somebody, only, only. And then the gospel, which means good news, is the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus according to the scripture. How, uh, what sin did Jesus die for? What sin had Jesus committed that he died for? And so his death wasn't about his sins. The Bible said he had no sin. So his death was a substitutionary death for, for me, for you, and for the entire world. We believe that. That's what the scripture teach. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Galatians 1, 8, and 9. Look it up when you get home. We believe in the Trinity, that God is a Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those are the scriptures you will find references to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, and 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. And we believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Matthew 1, 25. So someone who's a true Christian will believe these things, and they're not going to violate them. And the moment you get off of these, then you're, you're running into areas of violation. When it comes to the Catholic Church, we believe that they violate, number one, no other gods before. Don't put any other gods before me, okay? 
and number four, which is salvation through grace alone. So write this down. First of all, by his practice of promoting Mary and the saints to the level of godlike capabilities, they break the first a principle that we have, no other gods before the true and living God. In their system, Mary has been exalted to an extremely high position. And what the Catholics teach concerning her, what you're going to find, is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Instead, they claim that through its authority to interpret Scripture and its tradition, it, it is then revealed that many new truths have come forth, but again, you're not going to find any of these new truths in the Scripture. What you're going to find them in is uh, they have a thing called the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is basically their book of, of teaching, which they have raised to the level of Scripture. Now, the following is a list of things that they teach about Mary in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, as you read them, I want you to ask yourself this question, if any of them, can be found. Anything I'm about to tell you that they tell us can be found in the scripture. Number one, they say Mary is the all holy one. You find that in the CCC uh, paragraph 2777. Uh, seven, seven. Let's see if we can read that. If you were to go online, matter of fact, we're going to, with one or two of these, we're going to go online in here and see if we can see it. It says, Holy Mary, mother of God with Elizabeth, we marvel. And why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Because she gives us Jesus, her son. Mary is the mother of God and our mother. We can entrust all other care. Mary is the mother of God and our mother. We can entrust all our cares and petitions to her. She prays for us as she prayed for herself. Let it be to me according to your word. By entrusting ourselves to her prayer, we abandon ourselves to the will of God together with her. It goes on to say, uh, thy will be done. Pray for us sinners now and pray for our sin, us sinners now and for and now and at the hour of our death by asking Mary to pray for us. We acknowledge ourselves to be poor sinners and we address ourselves to Jesus. Does it say to Jesus? We address ourselves to the mother of mercy, the all holy one. We give ourselves over to her now in, in, uh, in the today of our lives and our trust broadens further already at the present moment to surrender the hour of our death wholly to her care. May she be there as she was at her son's death on the cross. May she welcome us as our mother at the hour of our passing to lead us to her son, Jesus, in paradise. Again, as we go through some of these things, I want you to ask yourself, are you going to find these teachings in the Bible? They also say Mary is second to Eve. That's Mystici Corpus Christ, paragraph 110. They say Mary is to be prayed to. That's in the CCC. When I say the CCC, I, didn't, I should have given you a picture. I should have put it up. But it's the catechism of the Catholic Church. It's their book of teachings, okay? It goes, Mary sits at the right hand of Christ. Uh, Pope Pius X said that, 1835 to 1914. Mary is our advocate, helper, our benefactress, and our mediatrix. Matter of fact, who has a smartphone? Who has a smartphone? 
And if you're listening online, do, do this with me right now. Go to Google, put in CCC two, what is it? Uh, 969, CCC 969. 969. You got it? Okay. You read it with me. It says, This motherhood of Mary in the order of grace continues uninterrupted from the consent which she loyally gave at the Annunciation and which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect taken up to heaven she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Mary. Therefore, the blessed virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. She, they are saying that Mary is the mediator between God and man. Who who? Who does the Bible teach? Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I, I hope I'm not boring you guys. They go on to say, did I make it up? Did, you, did it come on your phones too? Yeah. Okay. Mary is the mother of the members of Christ. They say that as well. She's the, so the Bible teaches that Jesus is the head of the church. They teach that, that, that Mary is the mother of you guys, of the church. Mary, queen over all things, CCC 966. Mary brings eternal life. We just read that in CCC 969. Mary helped make atonement for sins. Fundamentals of Catholic dogma, page 213. Mary crushed the head of the serpent. Who, who crushed the head of the serpent? Mary delivers souls from death, CCC 966. No, she doesn't. When considering the church, there's no better way than to look to Mary. Catholics entrust themselves to Mary's prayer. And they say, no man goeth to Christ but by his mother. The Vatican said that, the Pope Leo XIII on rosary. Now, we'll understand when we get through this teaching why they say the Pope can say whatever he wants. <laughs> You're going to understand why they say that and why it looks like they're almost worshiping the guy. Now, let me reiterate. Nothing in God's inspired word promotes what the Roman Catholic Church has stated in what I just listed. You will not find it anywhere in the scriptures. And this is important because God has given us his word to to, to guide us, amen? All this other stuff, they come out of what they call their shaker traditions. It's not inspired. Only the word of God is inspired. Therefore, we ought not to trust any spiritual teachings that come from any source outside of God's word unless, unless, unless it agrees with God's word. Do Christians make books? There's lots of Christian books, right? The moment they come with some new revelation that, that counters what the Word of God says, take that book and throw it out. All right? 
Because God, the Holy Spirit, is not going to tell you to do something that's contrary to what he has already written down. Now, why do we say this? When Jesus was being attacked by the devil in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, and every time the devil came at him with some new temptation, what was Jesus' response? Help me out, somebody, for those of us who aren't as smart as you guys. It is written. Every time the devil tried to take him off of where he needed to be, Jesus came back with not what I think. He came back with the word of God. He says, it is written. Every time. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it. And he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not the smallest letter of his word, God's word, will pass away. The apostle Paul, when he was preaching the gospel, he said of the Bereans that that they were noble-minded for checking the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. They didn't just check their brains at the door. They said, the man's coming preaching something new. And they went back, took what he said, and went to the word of God and said, oh my goodness, this is true. Paul called them noble because it's only the word of God that is inspired. But the, but the Roman Catholic Church, they're not satisfied with sticking to God's word. So again, how do they justify it all? Unfortunately, the Roman Catholic Church uses its tradition as a justification for extra-biblical doctrines. It claims its sacred tradition is inspired on the same level as the scripture. Now, I didn't say that. We can see that in, in CCC paragraph 80. This is what it says. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate one with the other for both of them flowing out from the same divine wellspring. So their book of catechism and whatever they say, whatever the Pope is saying, whatever comes out of his mouth, is on the same level, they say, as the Bible. You be the judge. So when the Catholic Church claims the tradition is sacred and inspired, then it can say anything it wants to support its doctrines and its claims as true. So again, essentially this means that they're not submitting themselves to the word of God, but are instead submitting the word of God to their traditions. So in their teaching, Mary is somehow on the level of Jesus. She's an intercessor. And all of these things, well, we know that Jesus is God in human flesh. So if Mary is, is on the same level of Jesus, they're violating the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And don't tell me, well, what, well we don't consider her God. Then why are you praying to her? Why are you asking her to intervene? Why does the, why do your teaching say that she is the one that we go to for salvation and that somehow she's going to lead us to Jesus? You won't find any of that in the word of God. Matter of fact, she never said any of that. She's probably rolling over in her grave that she's been elevated to this godlike you know, position. Secondly, the Catholics violate the biblical doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. Uh, he tells us in Romans 4, 5. He says, but to the one who does not work, but does what? Believe. But believes in him. Remember when Jesus, when the, Jesus was walking around, they said, what, what work must we do? And he turned to them and he said, the work is to believe, to put your trust in the Son of Man who did all the work for us. He says, to believe in him, 
Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accredited to him as righteousness. His faith is accredited to him. The fact that you believe in him, now you, you, you get something that you didn't earn or deserve. It is now accredited to you as righteousness. Romans 1.17, for in the, gospel of, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is, help me out somebody, uh, by faith from what? From first to last. So it's not by faith from first and then I'm going to start doing all these extra stuff to stay in the club. It's by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen? Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Wow. Wow. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do what? Everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, he said, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. And what did Christ do? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or hung on a tree. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, all the righteous requirements of the law were laid upon him and and he redeemed us from the curse of the law. So when I put my faith in him, and that's Paul's argument, by the way, he said the law came 400 years after the promise. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed. And Paul's point was the seed it doesn't say seeds. We're assuming that seeds are Abraham's children, the Israelis. Paul says, it says to Abraham and his seed. And the seed, it says, was Jesus. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus all the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled. He says, was, Paul, was Abraham justified by following the law or by faith? He says, no, Abraham came hundreds of years before the law. God gave him a vision of the coming of the Messiah. So Abraham looks forward in faith, and he trusted God that what God said was true, that when Jesus came, the fulfillment of the law, that he would be saved. So he was justified by faith. Now we, some 2,000 years later, we look back at what Jesus did, and we too are justified by faith. Paul's argument is, no one has ever been justified by following the law. It's always been by faith. Amen? Amen. He redeemed us in order, he goes on, he says, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Again, the key phrase there is, the righteous shall live by faith and not by the law. In other words, salvation is not by works from start to finish. But the Roman Catholics deny this. Again, I don't say it. This is what they, CCC, paragraph 2068. It goes on to say, so that all men may attain salvation through faith, baptism, 
and the observance of the commandments. So it's no longer just by faith. It's by faith. It's by baptism. And you have to follow the laws. Also consider this. They said, if anyone saith that by faith alone, the impious, that's those of us who are, who are sinners, are justified, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not that it is not in any way necessary. If anyone is saying it's by grace through faith alone, that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. Someone say, God bless you. No, I did not sneeze. <laughs> That's a big fancy word that came out of the Council of Trent, Canons on Justification, Canon number nine. Anathema means, are you ready? This is everyone who believes what Paul taught. The Catholic Church says, let him be anathema. And this is what it means. I had to look it up myself. I'm like, wow, that doesn't sound good. In common usage, it is something or someone detested or shunned. Its main usage is formal excommunication. Now, we know what that means, right? It means I'm kicking you out of my club. You are out if you believe in justification by faith alone, what Paul preached in the scripture. Council of Trent, Canons of Justification, Canon number nine. Look it up when you get a chance. Yeah, Google it. That's what I do. So even though Roman Catholicism claims to be Christian and that it's the one true church, it violates at least two of the main essentials of the Christian faith. It goes beyond what is written in the word. And the scripture says, don't go beyond what's written, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And it denies the soul and true sovereignty of the living God by promoting prayer to and worship of Mary. Also, it denies justification by faith alone in Christ Jesus. In my humble opinion, just those two reasons alone, hear me, just those two reasons alone, and I'm going to say I was almost an altar boy in the Catholic Church. I'm saying that most probably Catholics don't know what the, what the Catholic Catechism book says or what the Pope is saying. They just don't know. Matter of fact, I, you know, the reading of the Bible is not actually encouraged. <laughs> you know, so that, that Bible may be in the house, but it might have like 15 years of dust on that thing. But in my opinion, it, it, it disqualifies them from calling themselves a Christian church. If you're teaching people to pray to Mary and that she's the intercessor, yeah, that's not a Christian church. No Christian church preaches, preaches or teaches that. So this pretty much, this actually statement pretty much sums up their, their thing. To belong to the church, one must accept as factually true the gospel of Jesus as handed down in tradition and as interpreted by the bishops in union with the Pope. And so they've taken themselves off the standard of God's word and put it squarely on the interpretation of their traditions, bishops, and popes. And so there are a few other things as we close this morning that, that 
we will probably all strongly disagree with. They teach that, of course, that they're the one true church. Adherents must also accept the church as possessing the fullness of revelation in the church, according to the Roman Catholic Catechism, is the only Christian body that is one, holy, and Catholic. Catholic just means universal, it means universal church and apostolic. They say that the Pope is, big word, infallible. Infallible. They call the doctrine, they call it the doctrine of apostolic secession. And it's one of the keystones of the Catholic faith. It holds that the Pope or the vicar of Christ, I'll explain that in a moment, and the bishops have in varying degrees the spiritual authority that Jesus assigned to his apostles. So the voice of the Pope, either alone or in conjunction with his bishops and council, is regarded as infallible when speaking on matters of faith and morals taught in common with the bishops. And we all know what infallible means, right? Did we know anybody that was infallible? Jesus. Other than Jesus. No. No. Not even the, the, you know, the apostles claim that. <laughs> you know? So they use the term vicar of Christ. What does that mean? It's a noun. It's Roman Catholic Church. It's used in the Roman Catholic Church. It means that the Pope, with reference to his claim to stand, to stand in the place of Jesus Christ, and possess his authority in the church. Ta-da! So he's supposed to speak on the same level of Jesus. Imagine that. So you can make new doctrines because whatever he says is an inspired word by way of his position. Again, most Christians would strongly disagree with that statement. Other differences, the, the, Catholic, uh, the Catholic Bible has, well, how many books do we have? We have one, but it consists of 66 books, right? And it was canonized many years ago. The church leaders said, okay, these are the books that we believe are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Catholic has 73 books. 73 books, including seven known as the Apocrypha, which are called the Hidden Writings. So they have more books. They have ours, 66, plus they added an additional seven books. All right? Now, this is interesting. The church teaches that the main motive for ethical behavior, this is, this is, this is, listen to this, is the love of God. This is cool. None of us would disagree with that. Nothing that God has created is evil in itself. Nothing that God has created is evil in itself, but evil use may be made of it. Now, we wouldn't disagree with that, right, uh, in, in regard to God's creation. But it goes on to say, the doctrine concerning persons not Catholic is that since God affords each human being light sufficient to attain salvation, all will be saved who persevere in what they believe to be good regardless of ignorance. Now you understand why you've never had a Catholic knock on your door. 
to, to evangelize. Because if you, as long as you're, um, you know, as long as you're persevering in some belief, everybody's going to be saved. Only those will be damned, watch this, who persist in what they know to be wrong. Among these are persons who resist the church when they know it to be the one true church. Understand what they're saying. Everyone is saved unless you resist the church or disagree with their teachings. So, again, this is why you don't see them witnessing. At least I never have. A few other things we wouldn't agree with. They, they have taught on purgatory. You've heard that before? Purgatory. Purgatory is a place or state of suffering inhabited by the souls of sinners who are expiating, there's a, there's a word, expediating, something like that, their sins before going to heaven. In other words, it's, it's not hell, it's not heaven, it's some second chance middle place where once you die you go and you can still work off your sins in, in that area. Now, one particularly well-known Catholic method of exploitation in the Middle Ages, they don't do it anymore, but they did it in the Middle Ages because their vicar of Christ at the time, which was the Pope at the time, said this is cool, this is what they do, was the exploitation of, they call of selling indulgences. Selling indulgences, which is a monetary payment of penalty which supposedly absolved one of past sins and or released one from purgatory after death. Now, how did this work? In other words, when somebody died in the Catholic Church, if you were not sure where they went, you could pay the church and you would have an opportunity to pray them out of purgatory. They were making a killing. And because the standard is not the word of God, it's the word of the Pope or their leaders, what they say at the time becomes on the same level as scripture. And, the, and this is, these type of teachings is what triggered um, the Protestant movement. <laughs> these are the sort of stuff that people rose up and said, this is all hogwash. And they started, that's when you know, Martin Luther and the, and the, went to the thing and said, you know what, these are the things, the Reformation movement and all these other things. These are the things that cause Protestants to come out from under the Catholic Church and said, no, we believe that what the scripture says, the just shall live by faith alone. Does that make sense? And so in a nutshell, if you, if you ask your average Roman Catholic that if they do all what the church teaches, does that mean that they will go to heaven? They will say, I hope so. And most of them don't think they're bad people. In order to say, okay, I, when you compare yourself the scripture says when you compare yourself to, to the next person, your average person will say, you know what, I'm better you know, than that person, or, or I'm better than Hitler, so God should let me in. And it's some kind of, it becomes some kind of works-based thing because nobody condemns themselves. 
when the scripture says there is none good, no, not one. If you could work your way into heaven, you, Jesus would not have needed to come at all, right? He would, why would Jesus need to come? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. 1 John 5, 13 says, I write, write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may guess that you have eternal life. Help me out, somebody. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. But if you are in a works-based religion, there is no way you can know how good is good enough. How many works do you have to do? And that's how you know. If you have no assurance of salvation based on grace through faith alone, the moment you end up in works, you cannot know. You can't. And the Bible says, I write these things because I want you to know. God doesn't want to say, oh my goodness, where am I going to end up? He doesn't want us fretting about these things. He, wanted, he wants us to understand who Jesus is, what he's done, put our faith completely and totally in him for the salvation of our souls, and to be at rest because Jesus became our Sabbath day rest. When he said, it is finished, curses everyone who hung on the tree, he hung on the tree for everybody, even the unbelievers. But it's only those who put their faith in him will it be reckoned to him, reckoned to them for salvation. Does that make sense? And so I always just tell people, you know, go through the Bible, read what it says, okay? Um, John 3, 3, when I talk to Catholic people, even my, even my stepfather at the time, we were trying to witness to him and he was, no, I'm Catholic. I'm fine. And, he, and then I come to John 3, 3, where it says that you must be born again. You remember that verse? Jesus said that. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, that's in your Bible. That's not in my Bible. I said, well, give me your Bible. I mean, it's they have the same Bible, they just have more books. <laughs> so you go to John 3, 3, and it's in there too. You, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. That's what Jesus taught. Your Bible, my Bible, all of us. And fortunately for us, he eventually gave his heart to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so, again... I don't tell these things to say, okay, we're better, they're worse. It's so you can understand, because I have people, mostly JWs, knocking on my door. I've never actually had a, <laughs> a Messianic you knock on my door. Um, but you have conversations with people, okay? Uh, in, our, in, in my Bible study, um, one of the, the ages was saying, New Ager was telling her stuff about crystals and New Age practices and all these things. The Bible wants us not to walk around ignorant because, because it was happening in, in Paul's day, it's happening in our day today. The enemy will just, 
He'll either try to get you to backslide, he'll try to give you some shiny new thing, or he'll push you into some workspace thing, and the joy of your salvation will go right out the window because now you are no longer trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, but now you are, okay, I, I, I got to work for it. I got to work for these things. And God doesn't, does I told a young man at my door, I'm not saying that there is, works aren't involved. There is a work that God has called us to do. How many of you know we're not just here, you know, floating through this universe? But the work that he requires is not under salvation. God did not call us to come sit in a pew. He wants to use us for such a time as now to reach our world for Jesus. And even in little things. I had, I, I, at one point we were talking for a while. I said, are you thirsty? You want some water? He says, yes. So I go on my back. I pull out the water. I said, you know what? Maybe he will enjoy an iced tea too. Nice and cold. I go to hand him the water and the iced tea. He takes the water, he looks at the iced tea, and then he's checking the ingredients. And then he hands the, the iced tea back. I said, notwithstanding, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe in his religion there was something in there that he couldn't drink or whatever. I said, but the Bible says, you, if you give a cup of water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Amen? And so God is keeping track, but it's not for way of, you know, my understanding of the scripture is if God asked me to do, these are the 100%, this line represents 100% of the things he asked me to do after I got saved. And I end up at the end of my life doing 70%, okay? And then they say, you know what? You did 70% and you will get rewards for that 70%, but you could have gotten this. This is what I think is going to happen. But there are some people, there's 100% of things that God's asked you to do, whatever it is, and, and what he's asking me to do may not be what he's asking you to do. But you end up saying, you know what? I'm just going to come to church and sit. <laughs> you know, it's still not unto salvation. You're still going to get in, but the rewards, whatever... You know, you, you didn't do what I asked you to do. And it might be something as simple as tell your neighbor about me. <laughs> you know, something along those lines. You ever get an unction to just share with somebody around you and you just don't do it? Well, I promise you that's probably not the devil telling you to tell them <laughs> about Jesus. But that's what I think is going to happen. But at the end of the day, just like with, um, just like with many of these other religious organizations that we talk about it's either Jesus and or Jesus only and our church comes under the thing of Jesus only amen so you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus only for the salvation of your soul there's, there's nothing you can do to work your way into heaven Jesus did it all and with that if you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, it will be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Understanding that he says, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's what Paul said. And Jesus took the curse for every single one of us when he hung on a tree 2,000 years ago so that we don't have to pay the penalty for what we deserve. He doesn't give us what we deserve. 
He gives us the grace that we need. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this from your heart, and if you're listening online, say something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge my need for our Savior. I thank you for coming and dying on the cross 2,000 years ago for me. And three days later, bodily rising from the dead. I recognize the sacrifice that was made wasn't on because you had sinned. You did it to pay the penalty for my sins. Forgive me. I repent of those things. The doubt, the unbelief, the doing my own thing. And I put my trust completely in Jesus. In Jesus alone for my salvation. Fill me with your spirit, with your power, and with your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Now if you prayed that prayer on the authority of God's word, the scripture says you become born again. If you're placing your trust completely in him and him alone, do the next step. Let somebody know I pray to receive Jesus today. If you're online, let somebody know in your house, I pray to receive Jesus today. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. He says, if you deny me before men, he says, I'll deny you before the Father. So it's important to let people know I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Anybody with me not ashamed of Jesus? Amen. Not ashamed of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time or recommitted your life to him, in your, in your pews is a let's get acquainted fill it out. I pray to receive Jesus. If you are listening online, uh, put it in the comments, but let us know somehow that I pray to receive Jesus. God bless you all. I'll see you next week. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.